Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your pregame Buckeye Talk for Ohio State and Maryland on Saturday. That means it's Friday here on Buckeye Talk with Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We are gonna do our picks at the end of this, as we always do. Ohio State favored by what is it, 27 and a half, I think. Uh over under 63 and a half. Buckeyes at Maryland at 3:30. The three of us will be there. We are going to talk about what Ohio State players and coaches have been saying the last couple of days, but we're also going to do some rapid fire. So let's get to that first rapid fire question because I saved this from the rants and I teed it up because I wanted the three of us to be able to talk about this, fellas. Ben from the 757. Is there any weight to the thought that Marvin Harrison Jr. should be the Ohio State Heisman Trophy contender? If that award is supposed to go to the best football player in college football, I would say Marv certainly would have a case based on his almost surgical consistency to this point in the season. I can think of several times over the course of this season that what the heck was that, CJ, was yelled at my TV. I can't say the same about Marvin. Thoughts go bucks. One more from the 330. I love CJ Stroud. I think he's an amazing quarterback, one of the best in college football right now. I absolutely think he should be in the Heisman conversation. However, I think that everyone is so focused on him that they forgot that maybe Marvin should be in that conversation as well. CJ can just throw it anywhere within a five yard area and Marvin will catch it. It's easy to be a great quarterback when throwing to such an amazing receiver. Hashtag Marv for Heisman. So, Nathan, I do think there's two conversations here, right? One is, you know, should he be? And the other is, would he be? So I think we know what the would he be is. And I think there's a would he be conversation that we can have about similar to the the Jackson conversation we had this offseason. But let's talk about the should he be now. I think he's ninth in the nation and sixth in the power five, I think, in receiving yards per game. Which is, there has to be a statistical case, right? As we talked about when we did our thing with Drake Van and CJ Stroud on, on the Monday pod, there has to be statistical stuff that people can easily turn to. But then there's also the spectacular stuff. Should he be, Nathan? Should he really be a Heisman contender? Well, if the Heisman Trophy truly were pound for pound the best football player in the country, I think absolutely he would be in the conversation. But as you say, there has to be, and there, and there is a visceral case for him right? Like you feel how good he is, where he is among every football, every, yeah, every football player in college football. I mean, he stacks up, um, he's turning in those impossible plays, like at a rate of once every two or three games, which is kind of a, a crazy rate. Like, I mean, even to do it once in a season sometimes is remarkable and he's doing it with regularity, but the statistical case just isn't there. Um, I, I went back and looked. I mean, at, through 13 games, Devontae Smith was 98 catches, 1,511 yards, and 17 touchdowns. Harrison's pace right now through 13 games would have him around 14 touchdowns. So that would be close, but nowhere close. Like 20 catches off, 250 yards off. To be a receiver and contend for this award, you have to put up like eye-popping, like googly-eyed numbers. And his his performance is doing that. The numbers aren't doing that and not enough people see the performance, but everybody can see the numbers. 96.9 receiving yards per game. That's 10th in the nation. It's sixth among receivers in the power five, 60 catches for 969. Steven, does it, does it feel like in a vacuum where we're just being honest about the best players that he would be there? No, the statistical case is not there. I get he's had some really cool moments and some freakish catches, but the Penn State game is his best game for sure and what he did where it was basically a slant machine because nobody else could get open or let alone catch the ball. And then Indiana stinks. 
Toledo is a max school and Arkansas State is Arkansas State. Those are the other three games he's had 100 receiving yards this year. So it's, it, yeah, as good as he's been, he for sure, it's him and Jalen Hyatt at this point for the Belentnikoff Award, but this, that's not Heisman level. The way Nathan brought up Devontae Smith, they were scheming up a billion different ways to get Devontae Smith the ball, especially once Jalen Waddle went down. That's not the case with Marvin Harrison. It's just he's an ex receiver who is very good at getting open and very good at coming down with the ball. I know Joel Clad, I think, is playing a role in this. And I guess Joel was talking about that. That Joel is on board with like Marvin Harrison is the best non quarterback in college football and maybe among the best non quarterbacks he's ever seen. Which it's it's hard when this happens because nobody should be having any conversation about Marvin Harrison Jr. That is the only conversation is he's great. But that's a little hot for me. And that's, that's very that's, responsible. Like that's it, it. I do think sometimes you can overpraise somebody, and you almost set them up then for a backlash. It's like, well, there shouldn't be no backlash on Marvin Harrison Jr. This is the first time he's ever playing, and he's extraordinary. But I don't know if we have to say like that. You know, like there's been a lot of good. You, you seem a little and and listen, Stephen. You were on Marvin Harrison Jr. coming yeah. into the season as much as anybody, but you even think that's a little far. It's very irresponsible. He's been awesome this year. He's also not the first sophomore we've seen go from doing nothing to being awesome. It's actually been a trend. I think outside of of Devontae Smith, the other like four Belentnikov winners over the last five years have been sophomores. Jordan Addison, uh, um, um, Jamar Chase, Jerry Judy wanted as a sophomore. This is normal. Top 100 recruit finally gets a chance in an offense designed to throw the ball. He does awesome things. But we're... We're getting too caught up in the moment when guys do stuff. Even with the Marvin Harrison catch on Saturday. That was awesome. We saw Jackson Smith the Jigba do a similar freaky catch in the end zone like two years ago. We just need to let's calm down, let him continue this development, and there is a chance that, yeah, he might be one of the best receivers in the NFL one day. But that's not a decision you can make when he's 19 years old and he's has 184 yards against Arkansas State. There's just there's more he has to accomplish. And so far, the only team who has even had a guy, even in the vicinity of him talent-wise, was Joey Porter. And he did a really good job in that game. And so I'll praise him for that. But everything else is a talented Ohio State football wide receiver is doing what he's supposed to do against lackluster talent. I think Steven also makes a good point, too, about competition a little bit. And I would usually say maybe it doesn't matter that much. But when you go and compare to the only recent example we have, the Devontae Smith, his third game that year was 13 catches, 164 yards, and a touchdown against Ole Miss. So a legitimate team. And then the next week, 11 catches, 167, and two two touchdowns against Georgia. So, I mean, that guy was just wrecking great teams and statistically statistically like a pile of statistics and there were dynamics that played into why Alabama was why he was able to get all those stats for for Alabama that year but none of this is to diminish what Marvin Harrison Jr. is doing and I'm the one who's actually sitting here saying I think it is unfortunate that we always have to talk about the Heisman much like the conversation you and I had Doug on Saturday night uh Sunday night I should say for the Monday pod about how well, now, don't think about it too much. Like, don't analyze how good of a player he is too much. Just look at the 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 pure stats, the raw stats, because that's what's going to lead the day. So I think I think we're in pretty good gre- agreement about this. I think you guys have stated it well. Obviously, I think for a receiver to win, his quarterback has to be perceived as not as much of a candidate, and which would happen with mm-hmm. Devontae Smith and Mac Jones, and there's some recruiting stuff tied into that. There's some... Um, um, what guys, what you thought of people coming into the season. And it turns out, well, Mac Jones is like a first round talent too. But I think it was easy. And, and I think in the end, that was the right pick, right? I mean, if, if it was like, oh, Alabama's the best team. It's one of the best offenses we've ever seen. Who should win the Heisman, Devontae Smith or Mac Jones? They got it right. Almost like to the voters credit, because a lot of the times they would just pick the quarterback. But in this situation, I, I don't think, I don't think anything Marvin is doing would necessarily supersede what CJ is doing. But we've had a lot of conversations about CJ as a Heisman candidate. So I think everybody knows what we feel about that. The idea, Nathan, of that I was all about Jackson Smith and Jigba as a Heisman candidate coming into this year, especially in the summer when he was 50 to one, what Marvin is laying down right now. And actually, as Steven said, it's almost irresponsible. It's probably gone too far, but people know who he is. And frankly, 
Famous name, famous dad, don't hurt. Mm. That's just a reality. What he's laying down, and then next year, he will be playing with a first-year starting quarterback where the perception, rightly or not, and probably at least at the beginning of the year, rightly, will be that it's more about the receivers and the quarterback. No offense to Kyle McCord or Devin Brown or whoever the quarterback is for Ohio State next year. It feels like, Nathan, what Marvin is truly, truly doing is laying a foundation for what could be a somewhat compelling receiver case a year from now, just like I thought Jackson was doing last year for this year. So it's like, what were, what were we doing? I was sitting in the Browns parking lot having a conversation about Jackson having a 2,000-yard receiving season. Like, we can just replay that back and dub out take out Jackson Smith and Jigba and put in Marvin Harrison Jr. because that's what's happening. He's making a name for himself, which I think could pay off next season. Yeah, every time you were had said slot during that thing, it'll be a, a slightly different voice that just comes in and says, X. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just, yeah, he's, we just did a really reporting talented. session. Hey, X, he's a really talented. say X, X 30 times. Yeah. X, X, <laughs> X, X. Yeah. Um, Marvin, Marvison. Marvison, Marvison, Marvison. Yeah, I, MHJ, I, JSN, MHJ. Go ahead. I think he's actually laying a better foundation than Jackson Smith and Jigba did a year ago. Because even last year, as great as Smith and Jigba was, as much as he got his name out there, as much as he capped it with that crazy performance in the Rose Bowl, right now he's kind of out of sight, out of mind a little bit. Like I wrote a post today uh, on Thursday afternoon about Ryan Day kind of giving us a – semi-update on Smith and Jigbo, like, well, I'm more hopeful that he comes back than, like, expecting he comes back. And it, But it almost has dropped out of how we think of this team and whether we, – I don't we don't talk about whether Smith and Jigbo has to come back to, for this team to win a national championship. Whereas last year, Smith and Jigbo was still the third most talked-about receiver on that team until the Rose Bowl. Right now, I would say Marvin Harrison Jr. has become the most talked about receiver on this team the last few weeks because Smith and Jigba is, again, no fault of his own, but out, out of sight, out of mind. So I feel like maybe the hype that you would want, that runway that you would want, is building a little bit earlier for Marvin than it was for Jackson a year ago. Kyle McCord is going to help Marvin Harrison win the Heisman because those two have four years already What's built in chemistry. Today? Oh, that's a headline. November oh, yeah. 17th. That's, that's going to be a headline for sure. You're Listen, logging it down? Oh, for that's sure. I'm claiming it now. They have four years of chemistry in winning state championships at a pretty high-level program in Philadelphia together. So, plus, Kyle lives with um, Emeka and Jaden and, and Marvin. At least they were living together when they first got here. They might have like separated since then, but that's who he's been living with. So it's not like Kyle doesn't have any chemistry, even if he doesn't have in-game chemistry with Julian, Jaden, and Emeka the same way he does with Marvin. But let's just say Kyle is struggling in the Notre Dame game next year, on the road, and for whatever reason, it's just not clicking with Julian and Emeka and Jaden. Hmm, I'm just going to throw the ball to the guy I've been throwing the ball to for the last eight years of my life. And Marvin can just – it's I did it with CJ and Jackson, but that was created when they, when they got here. Kyle hmm. and Marvin have, are showing showed up on campus already knowing how each other works. Yeah, this could get really interesting and because and, there's a specific way that it has to go, right? I mean, again, it's just if you're not a quarterback, there's there's a way that your Heisman candidacy has to go. And it was interesting, uh, Mike Renner, who's one of the PFF guys, he was the guy, he was the sports writer who was on The Bachelorette. I don't think he made it very far. I think he like made it to the first room where Wait, like you kind of hang out. Was he a sports writer and then he went on The Bachelorette yeah. or was he on no, The Bachelorette like it, and then became a sports writer? No, no, it was like, hey, that guy from PFF is on The Bachelorette. And I think, but he didn't, he didn't talk much, I think, in the initial segment. I'm sure That's that he awesome. loves the fact. Um, I'm sure that he loves the idea of like, hey, my whole identity is I was on The Bachelorette. But anyway, he's also a good PFF guy. He just started tweeting today about how he thinks for the 2024 NFL draft, there are like three off the chart potential draft candidates. And I know Shahan and I in the College Football Survivor Show were talking about like this class of, of second-year quarterbacks right now. But he had Drake May at North Carolina, who people are probably sick of us talking about, Caleb Williams at USC, and Quinn Ewers at Texas as three third-year quarterbacks who are going to be starting for programs next year and he thinks are, are high-level NFL prospects. That mm. class, like I think Marv is a candidate. It might be on next year. 
Like there is, ju- there are just some dudes. Um, like what Caleb Williams might do in year two at USC as they kind of get their stuff together there. Drake May again, statistically is 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 at least statistically is off the charts. You don't know what yours is going to look like in year two of the system of Texas. It's just going to be an interesting year. So, um, but I do think Marvin is in the mix and should be in the mix next year. But it's just it's just kind of not how it works. And I think the point of like maybe some people have gone a little bit too far, I think is is a valid one. From the 740, hey guys, first time texter, worth the money. And long time listener, it's Tanner from Newark. I don't have a rant, unfortunately, but I wanted to get on here and ask. Well, that's why you're on the rapid fire pregame show. Do we live in a college football season where Jackson Smith and Jigba could be under wraps for Ohio State to come out like Stone Cold Steve Austin and just wreck Michigan's approach on defense? I'm not saying he's not hurt, but could Ryan be giving him ample resting time to just come in and wreck any defensive strategies that Harbaugh might have to stop the Ohio State passing offense? I've been talking to some friends about it and just wonder what you guys thought. Love the pod. Go Buck. So, Nathan, this is related to things that Ryan Day actually said on Thursday. Um, what do we think? Is it is it a long con, or is this just a guy who's had injury issues? I don't think it's a long con. I do think it's possible he still plays this year, though. And I'm a little bit skeptical it would be as early as next week, the way things are turning right now. I don't know that we have a great indication of how much I don't, how much he is practicing, if at all, how much he's been able to do. And I think you do need some lead in, like especially for a game of that magnitude. He has not looked sharp in the games that he came back from, either the Toledo game or the Iowa game. Like there just wasn't, something wasn't there. And then obviously he had some aggravation of the injury. So I think they're going to continue to be cautious with him. I think they want to use him. I think he wants to play. I think it's just a matter of getting him back on the field in a way that he can actually be used. You know, Cam Brown was talking about injuries yesterday or Wednesday night after practice and was saying that it sometimes takes like two or three games to get yourself back to full speed to readjust to the game speed. And that's obviously not going to be an option for them now with Jackson. Like whenever he comes back, it'll be, you know, have to be kind of immediate. So um, I think that is another reason why they're going to rather than have him come back too early and have something go wrong. I think they're going to try to get him back at as close to full strength as he possibly can be. But I think it's also possible that just doesn't happen. So, I mean, it would be nice. They probably would love to have him play against Michigan. And I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he isn't. We'll find out with the availability report that Saturday morning. But this is the Jalen Waddle conversation because Jalen Waddle did not look sharp in that national championship. And but from the very first catch he had, it was clear that, yeah, he probably shouldn't be out here. But yeah. he's out here, and he had some level of impact, and they used him sparingly. He played 26 snaps in that national championship game. So he was out there, but more as a decoy. And then when they could get him the ball and have him have a Jalen Waddle moment, they let that happen. I don't know anything. Buckeye talk. But sorry, we're not supposed to do that ourselves. But I, that would—I mean, they've seen somebody do it before. So yeah, I wouldn't close the door on Jackson Smith the Jigba plays 15 snaps against Michigan, but he only has one catch, and it's at the most valuable time that they can use him in that moment. And then any other time, he's just kind of out there because you're not whatever version of Jackson you get the rest of the season is not going to be peak Jackson Smith the Jigba because he's hurt his hamstring reaggravated it and then reaggravated again at this point. So he would have to sit for a little bit of time to really get back to a hundred percent. The one thing Waddle had going for him that Smith and Jigba doesn't is weather. Like it's stupid cold up here and it's getting colder and it's going to be that way next week for the Michigan game. That makes me think that it's even less likely that he might come back for that game, but then you're indoors and then you're in the desert and then you're in California So all three of those scenarios, I think, if you keep winning, all three of those scenarios, more likely that he would be able to come back because you're just controlled conditions and it's less likely of an aggravation. Nathan Baird breaking that Ohio State is indeed going to Camelback. I'm going to Camelback. (laughs) Yeah, Nathan might be there covering Georgia TCU, but he's going to Camelback. Um, (laughs) And sleep on a hangout or whatever. And yeah. So I, I do think just like, I think in the thing about like, Hey, like, are they maybe like slow playing this a little bit? I do think it really did kind of wreck their offense 
that what they had planned for Jackson this year. Like, I think as much as like the offseason 2000 yard conversation might have sounded crazy to people, and as much as they have really talented other guys, they, I really, they had some plans for this guy because there is a specificity, which is kind of what you were getting to, Stephen, and some of the stuff, you know, like that you were right. And it's like there's a specificity to like the connection with CJ and his ability in the slot, like in the middle of the field to do a multitude of things on any given play that regardless of what a defense is planning for him, he can find a way to get open. And he and CJ have the type of connection where, you know, I think it would have been like option route central of like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. well, all right, they're going to do this. They're going to hang a safety. They're going to have a linebacker underneath. They're going to try to double team, but there might be eight different things that Jackson's going to do on this route. And he and CJ are in concert. And like, I don't know if anybody can stop it. And it just hasn't happened. So um, the idea, like you, like they, they really, they really yeah, want him yeah, out yeah, there because he's yeah. really like he's. It, it is one of those things of just like to lay the groundwork, and then we're going to move on to other positions. Ohio State has arguably the two best rookie receivers in the NFL, and the guy who's hurt we thought was the best receiver in college football, and the guy who's playing and getting the attention instead now might be the best. It's ridiculous, and it can be really hard to get context. And it can be really, I think, easy to sort of move on to the next guy. And it's not that nobody – everybody appreciates Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigman and Marvin Harrison Jr. But just to double-check, like in the end, Marvin Harrison Jr. is ridiculous. And Emeka Abuka and Julian Fleming are very talented. Let us not forget how special Jackson Smith and Jigba might have been in a healthy season this year, Stephen, because he also is that good. It feels like the person who was robbed the most was Ryan Day, the play caller, because Mm. there's parts of this creative mind that second year starting quarterback, but third year in the system. That's the key there. CJ is the first quarterback that Ryan Day has had from start to finish where nobody else has had their hands on them at any single singular point in time. Then you combine that with what Jackson Smith, the Jigba is as a slot receiver. It felt like there were some things in the playbook that Ryan day has been waiting since 2017 to finally pull out. And this was going to be his moment to do it. And then a hamstring injury got in the way. And we saw a little bit of it in the Michigan state game when all of a sudden they've got wide receivers in the backfield and they're, you know, toss they're running toss plays for him and it's like that's a jackson play Ooh, this is a jackson Mm. you start it seemed like some of it was like i mean i got these plays and i know i don't have them but we got to put it on film to see if it works anyway and you start seeing him sprinkle some of these jackson smith the jigba plays in so i think as it's tough on cj that's his favorite weapon it's tough on jackson for sure because he's not being able to play football so that's first and foremost jackson smith the jigba but i think a strong 1b is probably ryan day the play caller and just how creative he can be when you've got him then you've got kevin wilson and then you've got everybody else in that room i'm um, doug i don't know if you want to preview that story a little bit but you got to sit in on that a little bit i felt ten like guys, we were ten guys in the room yeah we were robbed of seeing what those 10 guys in the room can do with jackson smith the jigba and cj Stroud. Okay, quick break. There's a couple other players that I really want to get to that we have good texts about that are players we need to talk about. We want to get to what Stephen and Nathan heard from Ohio State players and coaches this week. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Before we get to the to the other players I want to talk about, Nathan, um, what do we need to know? What do we need to know about what Ryan Day said on Thursday? What players you were talking a little bit previously about, like what Cam Brown was talking about? Talking to Cam Brown's a big deal. That's an interesting guy that got a lot of praise from the coaches this week. Let's just make sure we're covering the information that has been gleaned in the last couple of days. Yeah, I'm not even sure where to, to start because there's been a lot of it. Well, I mean, with, with Cam Brown, we wanted to kind of get to the bottom of what was wrong. Like, because it's been this thing that's been dogging him all season. He said, Kind of tried to minimize it, said it was like a little bit of a knee thing. There were some times where it didn't appear that he was even at games, so I thought it might be something else. It could be a concussion protocol or something, because that, that's sometimes an indication of those things. But he played it off like it was just a, a knee problem he had. He didn't want to use that excuse for what happened in that game where he came back against Michigan State and really looked off and, and just didn't have a good game. But... 
you saw, I think, indications in this last game of what he can do, you know, going downfield on deep balls and, and breaking up a couple passes. And, you know, as you said, Ryan Day, he kind of pushed back on this. Cam Brown didn't really want this, I guess, on himself to be like, no, like we in order to be as good as we can be, we have to have Cam Brown. And he was kind of trying to deflect like, no, like the young guys behind me, like I have confidence in them. But Ohio State still hasn't seen what it could see as early as Saturday against Maryland, which is healthy Cam Brown, healthy Denzel Burke, healthy Jordan Hancock. And that was what this cornerback group was supposed to be to start the year. As you were talking about how it kind of torpedoed the offense to not have Jackson Smith and Jigba, it definitely affects, it, it, it threw off what this defense wanted to be when it couldn't get, I mean, there were weeks where maybe only one of those, there was at least one week where none of those guys were healthy or playing or available. So a, a big potential improvement for this defense to get all three of those guys back and potentially playing well right as the most important games of the year are about to happen. Steven, was Dallin Hayden a guy that was out this week? Did I see, uh, did I see was, a story? Yeah. Yeah, what did, was. that's a young freshman running back who could really matter down the stretch here. How's he handling it? he's handling it well. He's obviously not doing what he thought he would be doing this year. He was supposed to be the fourth running back at best. He showed up in June. He admitted that it maybe took him halfway through fall camp to even really get down to plays and feel comfortable out there. He didn't really feel comfortable in games really till a couple of games in, which is normal when you show up in June, but also he's expecting it's Travion Mayan and Evan in front of him. And then Evan gets hurt. It's like, okay, well now I'm three. So now I'm, I probably should get ready to be playing in games now. And then we've seen the musical chairs that has been the Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams experience this year. And so all of a sudden he has gotten a lot more reps than maybe anybody would have thought. And we don't know what the situations are with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams long-term, if they're going to be available long-term or not. And so we had, been, we were talking, we might see a running back version of the Cardell Jones situation in 2014, where a guy who, in no way, shape, or form did you think would be playing at all is now playing in the most meaningful games of the season. And so after we got done talking to him, I like pulled him to the side and had a short conversation with him about it. And he's like, yeah, that's, I understand. Obviously you don't want that to happen. You don't want guys to be hurt, but I completely understand that. Like I could be in that situation and I need to be ready to go. And Tony Alford has been in his ear to make sure he's ready to go in time and time again. And I think the reason I wrote that story, the the reason it's interesting to me is whether it's him, whether it's Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, you've got uh, Emmett Smith's sons playing football, college football now. Uh, These guys who come from families of professional athletes, regardless of if they're, you know, wait, what am I missing? Who's Dallin Hayden's family? Aaron Hayden played in, he played at Tennessee and then he played four years in the NFL. Oh. I probably should. Should I know that? Should I not reveal on a podcast that I don't know that? Yes. Nathan's nodding. Mm-hmm. I should know that. Okay. Probably, but at least oh, you're yeah, being. Yeah, you know. yeah. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, oh, you mean you mean Dallin Hayden and his dad Aaron? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those guys. Sure. I think Eric Hayden. <laughs> Eric Hayden. When I was in first grade, in the 1980 Winter Olympics. My first grade teacher was very into the 1980 Winter Olympics, and Eric Hayden won five speed skating gold medals, and that was no very big to me. Is. is he related to him? No, no, that's a different spelling. Yeah, this is H A Y D among other differences. Yeah, they don't really look alike. No, 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 no. I'm just I don't know who that is, but I'm going to assume since he's doing the Winter Olympics, they don't really look alike either. I'm going to ask Dallin Hayden if he's ever speed skated next time I see him, just to double check. That's the kind of thorough reporter that I am. Okay, so Dallin's built for this a little bit. Like, it's not... Yeah, he's he, he's he knows okay. how to operate at a pro level that has allowed him to flourish in this situation where, quite frankly, he shouldn't be flourishing. He'll hit a hole, man. I mean, that that goes a long way. There's he a did. hole, get through the hole. That is like... Yeah. that, is, And then and hold on to the ball, as Ryan Day says, every five minutes. Like, that's a, I, that's a lot. I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. So Landis, you know, he's always asking the most, you know, footballish questions in the world. He at, Dallin Hayden is really good at cutback holes and mm. really hitting those. And he told like Landis was asking him about that, and he said, "Yeah, I've ran that stretch play where you got to cut back a million times in high school. That was pretty much okay. his high school football's offense. So yeah, I mean, we're talking about running backs having an inability to hit holes and stuff like that. None of those issues for Dallin Hayden so far. That's interesting because that stretch play in particular has been kind of a catastrophe for everybody else. Yes, it has. On this offense trying to run the ball lately." 
It is interesting, uh, the instinct that people have. It's just your instinct is there's an instinct to bounce, I think. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's that's real. And then sometimes if it's like you just kind of hit the thing that's there and you don't bounce it and it's like, just just do that. And that goes a long way. Um, did you write about the friendly gentleman, Nathan? Everyone's favorite gentleman, <laughs> Ty Hamilton? The stone uh, wait, wait, the uh, cold-blooded was gentleman. he the stone-cold gentleman? The cold-blooded and, uh, gentleman and the giant muscle, who are yeah. one and the same. Uh, Not muscle like a barnacle, like muscle like you lift weights. Right? Correct. Yes, yes, I believe so. You, you, you clog up the holes. Um, and yes, I did. I wrote about Ty Hamilton. That's that's up on our site as of Thursday morning, and just the way that he has. Uh, he he was kind of upfront about saying like you know in order to get here I went in and practiced like I wanted to be a starter like I was trying to fight for something and even knowing that that might not happen necessarily because of the people that were in front of him but that sort of work ethic is the things that you're hearing Jim Knowles and Ryan Day talk about now and why he got the opportunity that he got and you know the Northwestern game I thought was a good example. If you go back of, a, a, of watching him kind of be that run plugger that they need, but then against Indiana, he started getting after it and, you know, got in the backfield and got a sack and um, was, was a little more disruptive in that way too. And, and just every person that they find on that defensive line that is versatilely effective like that makes the whole defense better. So let me dive into, and there's a couple more things I want to get to that, that Ryan Day talked about this week, but someone had asked about Teron Vincent from the 314. Buckeye Talk is failing in he- Buckeye Talk. <laughs> Buckeye Talk is failing in heaping praise on Teron Vincent, who is playing outstanding and consistent this season. He has been a wall against opponents, and his play is the biggest reason why the rest of the defensive line is playing so well. Uh, we maybe haven't talked about it enough, Nathan. I mean, Jim Knowles has certainly been asked about it the last couple of weeks and has, has taken opportunity to talk about how well Teron Vincent has played. I We did mention, I mean, he, he made an extraordinary play on a short yarded situation against Northwestern that like really mattered at the beginning of the second half. And I think he almost sort of single-handedly ended a drive for them. The idea that like Ty Hamilton and Teron Vincent like are going to be at the heart of the conversation next week for the Michigan game is is real as can be, I think. And I don't know if people feel like maybe we're underselling these guys now. I don't think they'll think it a couple, a couple days from now, because I'm not so sure I wouldn't put like Ohio state defensive tackles at the top of the list of position groups that need to play great in the game. And I think Hamilton and Vincent are both doing that right now. Yeah, I would agree on on that point. That that is maybe the position group that can help decide the game. Like I, I think it might have helped decide it last year in Michigan's favor. And 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 I thought something interesting that Noel said a couple weeks ago was that when Vincent bought in quickly, then the whole defense kind of followed after that, and or at least that whole defensive front followed after that. And that spoke a little bit to the influence that Vincent has, because he's not a very like out front guy necessarily. And because of the way his career has gone here, where it's always been, even when he's played well, it's always been against the expectations of being a former five-star with a dad who was a longtime NFL outstanding player and all that stuff. And Wait, so- his dad played in the NFL? <laughs> that one I actually know. I covered his dad. That one I actually know. Sorry, I was yep. just... Troy Vincent. There's a callback. The Eagles. Yeah. There's a callback. Um, but uh, I think Aaron Hayden actually played for the Eagles too. Um, he did for one game. Not, one game. Now you're just rubbing it in. What year was it? What year did Aaron Hayden play? 90, for the 98, I believe. Okay. I was barely in the Philadelphia suburbs at that point. It's possible okay. I covered a game he was at. Okay. Anywho. Uh, it, but it, you get. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we talk about this all the time that guys who. Um, have great contributions. I mean, it was the Zach Harrison story for a long time too, that you can contribute well, but you're not flashing. You're not doing it in a, a over the top kind of way. And that somehow like diminishes the, or, or it gets you, 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 you kind of fall in, fall through the cracks a little bit. And so I think the texture is right to point out that we should talk about him more because I think he has been a, a pretty critical piece to what they do up 
front. As weird, it's, it took a weird road to get here, but Ohio State's three best defensive linemen are three former five-star recruits. <laughs> so, Rob Vincent, JT Tui, Willowell, and oh, Zach yeah. Harrison. I think part of the Tehran thing is, unlike the Zach thing where it just took a while because development is development, everybody develops at their own pace, there's a big injury you know, hatch just mm, thrown yeah, right sure. in the middle of things when – 2018, okay, normal development, you're a true freshman. And then year two, 2019, is the year you're expecting him to maybe carve out a space in that starting lineup or at least in the defensive tackle rotation, and he's walking around with a robot arm the entire season. And it, it never – maybe it took him two years to really start feeling like himself again. So then the 2020 season is weird. And so you see the Tommy Togiai, um on the interior with Haskell Garrett show. Yep. And so maybe at the end of last year is when he finally started to really feel like himself. And he had a really good Rose bowl and he's just catapulted that game into what's been a pretty excellent season. So maybe if you take out the robot arm year, maybe all this happens for Teron Vincent last year, if he's not having to spend a year in a machine and then another year and a half, maybe getting back to where he, to the talent that he is. I know that my, my historical perspective is sometimes, smaller here but vincent seems like a throwback to me to what Ohio State had in 2019 with davon hamilton jay sean cornell uh mm -hmm. bb landers like that kind of defensive tackle where it isn't a guy who well hamilton actually had a pretty great year that year but it was more about the the substance of what they were doing guys who were just doing their job relentlessly every play clogging those gaps um opening things up for the rest of the defense the linebackers to make tackles I wonder, I do think the way that Jim Knowles talked about him, I thought was really instructive this week, that he clearly is a space eater who can take on a double team and free up other people. But Knowles very clearly made the point, but he's also a playmaker, that he can take up space, but then he has the technique and the hands to mm -hmm. shed a block and make a play. And to be a space eater and a playmaker is not easy. Because I think often we we lump guys into like sort of one of the two categories. I, I think he could, he, like at his best, I think he's a pro. Right, it's like Jason yeah. Cornell was a seventh round pick, like, and I, like I think Teron Vincent could be a guy who can do a little bit of both of those things on the interior, maybe play, you know, multiple positions inside. So I do, I do think he deserves credit for that. This is another guy that Jim Knowles loves to talk about from the three hundred three. Why don't we have a cool name for whatever the heck position Lathan Ransom plays? We've heard about bullets, bandits, Jackson, Leos, whatever he's playing should be called the missile. That guy plays like a missile, and we should call his position that when someone plays it at his level. Furthermore, in order to play the missile, you must have a six-pack, a cutoff top, and the capability to block a punt like a missile. Thoughts, Ryan in Denver. Steven, he's actually the what? He's the bandit, right? He's the, he's bandit. the bandit, and Hickman's the adjuster. Yep. Can mm -hmm. we bring it to Jim Knowles and to Lathan Ransom and petition for them to rename this position the missile? I mean, it sounds better than Bandit and Adjuster. I think those names suck. Listen, even though the I think Bandit's okay. Well. Adjuster, it's it awful. blows my mind. It's it may it's as well be like the it may, like It's like, oh, what's the deep safety call? That's the air conditioner repairman. It's like, what are you – Adjuster? <laughs> yeah, man. We've had this conversation. I don't know. I don't know what – like, I, it is. It's like, well, hey, Jim, you got in this position. What's that guy do? Well, I don't know. I guess he – I guess he adjusts. I was like, all right, we got it. And, and Jim Knowles was maybe busy, like, uh, you know, he's so creative up that day. He's so creative in his play calls and the way he designs the defense that he doesn't have any more creative juice to actually come up with names for things. Yeah. What if his play calls are just safety blitz, linebacker yeah. blitz, nickel blitz? It's nothing complicated. It's just, JT, go get the ball. That's it, baby. That's the play call. But honestly, I think Josh Proctor and – Lathan Ransom already have cool names for the positions they play. The Proctor and the Ransom. I mean, you know, you have to pay the ransom. You got to pay the ransom. You want to run the ball over here? You got to throw, throw it over here? You want to punt? You got to oh pay the God. ransom. Will you you pay own it? that? Please. That is there for the taking. You got to pay the ransom. Willing. Lathan Ransom has kidnapped your running game. How are you going to get it back? You've got to pay. pay the ransom. I love it. But wow. he's been. I got. I. I was high on Lathan coming into the – I've kind of been high on Lathan the whole time he's been here, maybe a little irresponsibly at times. But he's better than I thought he was going to be now that he's playing the role that they actually recruited him to play, which is sometimes the answer. When you tell a kid he's going to play a certain position and you like that stuff about him, 
how about you have him actually do it? And this is maybe on the table when also all the other pieces around him are functioning the right way. Which is why Nathan, I don't know if they also might lose him earlier than they expected to lose him. I don't know if this if you're old enough for this, Nathan, but there was definitely a period of time where the sports poster industry was in love with like weird theme things. And so you could get all these posters for your room. Like the idea of Josh Proctor, the Proctor, and like Josh Proctor is like in the middle of a room administering a test and making sure that nobody cheats. And it's like offenses can't pass his test, the Proctor. And maybe he would have like glasses on and like a sweater vest, right? Like I would buy that poster. The Proctor is always looming. It's like, you've got to ask the proctor if you can go to the bathroom. And then the ransom, right, that Lathan Ransom is, like, standing. This one would be, like, he's standing. And I don't want to – I mean, he can be shirtless if he wants to be. Maybe it's, like, a cutoff top, like, with his six-pack, right? And he's holding, like, bags of money with the dollar signs on the bags. And it's, like, uh, offenses. He's taking offense hostage. You've got to pay the ransom. I would buy that poster, too. Even as an unbiased – Journalist, Nathan, I would buy a pop by, I think Ohio State should, this is NIL. Let's bring back the weird mid-80s. My favorite poster, I had my, it was my two favorite baseball players, and one of them had a bat that was on fire, and the other one had a baseball that was on fire. And it's like, could that be any cooler? Just set things on fire and have people hold it. But I would buy, can we make a company that brings back that idea of cool NIL posters? Yeah, we could actually, we right? Could we could have, actually we do could that. We could have before you broadcast it to thousands of people. No. The Proctor. The adjuster. The proctor the and the guy, adjuster sound pretty similar, actually. <laughs> the, but the proctor is better because it is because it is like, oh, I'm administering the test. Can you pass it? Test. JJ McCarthy? Is yeah. proctor a common enough term that people would like get that? I mean, ransom isn't either. People would just say pay the fine. Yeah, that's true. Well, a fine and I a guess ransom. It was are and fine. But I do think none of these adjuster, are none of these are gonna pass the, the Jim Knowles. A vocabulary test because he no, clearly no, doesn't I want. Know. I don't think he I wants. Know. See, here's the thing: like he doesn't want his guys to be known as missiles. He likes to. He likes no. it's like bandit, adjuster, the the jack, like, you know, the jack of all trades. Like it's much more cerebral. He doesn't want you to know. Like the missile, you can like you can like then have like a warning system for the missile or like have you can hear the missile coming or whatever. He wants guys who sneak in and have beaten you before you know they were there. He probably should have taken a job where they call a defense the silver bullets then. I know. That's true. Oh, yeah. The silver currency. Or something like a little, like just something like the silver uh, projectiles. No, that's still too much it. I also like the idea, we've been really talking about the Jack playing the Jack. You could call that position the Sawyer. And like that guy, as you've wrote about this week, Nathan, like Jim Knowles is really talking a lot about, hey, I want 10 guys doing their job so that guy in that position can kind of go crazy. Like the Sawyer is like he's making opposing quarterbacks. He's tricking them into painting a fence for him, right? Isn't that isn't that like the big thing in Tom Sawyer? Doesn't he trick what people into painting fences? that's really why he fences? called it the Jack is because he has to earn the right to be called Jack Sawyer. He has he's to earn the right. his yeah. last name. Yeah. We've and then the other, defensive, the other defensive end could be the Huckleberry. So you have okay. the Sawyer and the Huckleberry. All right, we'll get Jim on, and we'll just throw these at him. I, I want you to tell JT that we're going to call him the. I want you to tell JT <laughs> that we're going to call him the Huckleberry from now on. Um, that was when I tried to tell who, what linebacker was it when they had Dante Booker, Jerome Baker, and then they had a third linebacker, and I was trying to tell that linebacker that he was the candlestick maker because it was going to be the Booker, the Baker, and the candlestick maker, and he's. I, I think I actually said that to a human being. Can we call you the candlestick maker? And he said, like, I'm going to kill you. Get away from me. And he didn't actually say that, but he said it with his eyes. <laughs> Jim, could we call instead of the adjuster? Could we call that the candlestick maker? Oh, man. If I could just be in charge of naming defensive positions, I'd be so happy. All right. We eventually have to pick this game. I want to do this last one. We have to do this because we have to when our when people bring this to us, we have to respond. It's our responsibility. Joe from Shawnee Hills. This is a Ryan Day discussion. Can you talk a bit about the relatability of Ryan Day? I feel like in general, even though through coach speak, I find myself nodding. I see your reasoning and how you got there. I'm looking for a reality check if I'm a bit of a homer, but I feel like I connect with him more 
on a human being level than a lot of other coaches around the country and previous coaches. I do feel like I'll bug you in the offseason about our players and coaches being real people and how they hit the right level of humility and introspection. Love what you guys do with the pod. Keep it up. I, I sort of have said that I just – Urban Meyer came in with like a level of sort of cool guy having national championship rings and just Urban's personality. And Jim Trestle was just like more buttoned up and that kind of thing. And Ryan Day is like neither of those two things. So in comparison of like the people that I've covered, Ryan is just different than that. That's just real. Um, There's a lot of coaches who are like that, but it just is you really can see the contrast with Urban and Trestle. Luke was like that. Luke Fickle for the one year, but like Luke wasn't himself here because he was like thrown into the cauldron and was just trying to figure it out on the fly. So I think the Luke that became the Luke Fickle, that's a very successful coach at Cincinnati, I think is just more like a relatable dude like that. But I do, I do think there's a lot to that with Ryan. Uh, and we can't even get into that more later. But there's a specific thing we have to talk about from the 513. Stop calling Ryan Day a liar on the podcast. And we have covered this in the past. You do it when his response to your question doesn't fit your current narrative. It's insulting today to have Nathan say, we'll bring him on the pod and minister truth serum. Just because the media asks a question doesn't obligate Day to answer. And when he doesn't answer it the way you want, doesn't mean he's lying. Stop giving Ryan Day motives he hasn't expressed. When Ryan Day said he was being stubborn about the short yardage run game, Steven said it was Day's ego that caused him to do so. Steven doesn't know that, so why say it when it will be heard by tens of thousands? Even though it's an opinion podcast, you still have to do justice to the people you are talking about. Calling Day a liar and giving him motives he hasn't expressed is doing him an injustice. One more, credibility from the 330. Credibility is hard to earn and easy to lose. And when Steven says things like it's the only honest thing Ryan Day has said since the beginning of the year when you folks were talking about the short yardage run game, it destroyed your team's credibility because none of you jumped in to say that's absolutely not even close to the truth. He has to stop with the broad stroke statements to validate or emphasize his point. Day could not be loved by recruits or players as he is and never speak the truth. Okay, so people sometimes don't like the things that we say. Let's talk about this. Steven, have we gone too far in saying like that we don't believe Ryan Day when he says certain things or that he has certain motives for things that he does? I don't remember me saying it that way. I was obviously being I think I was being facetious when I even said it's the most honest thing he said all year. I don't think I said it's the only time he's been honest, but I mean, I'll have to go back and listen to that. I think the liar thing came from when he said that Jackson Smith the Jigbo was on a pitch count when it was very hmm. clear looking at him that he had messed something up in his leg again. I don't yeah. know I don't know if we applied that to any other thing other than that one situation where we or everybody, whether you were watching at home or you were in the stands or in the press box like we are, saw what just happened to Jackson Smith the Jigba and his only re- reasoning was, Oh, he's on a pitch count, so he's done for the day. Yeah. Nathan, are we too flippant with our discussion of of when Ryan Day is saying true things and not? Well, there's always the difference between when we know a coach is lying and why and when we feel like a coach is insulting our intelligence a little bit. And Ryan Day usually doesn't do that. The the Jackson with the Jigba instance would be like the one example I thought where I thought he was just like looking us right in the eye and being like, no, like seriously. And we were like, come on, man. But most of the time, like, listen, we know and it's why we quote them the way we do, because we know that sometimes they're telling us things. They're wording things a certain way because they don't want to throw a player under the bus, for example. They don't feel like, you know, they we're going to say, hey, what was going on with the why this running game wasn't working? And instead of coming in and saying, well, because our such and such player was having the worst game of his life or because the, the running back uh, can't see um, – couldn't couldn't see a, a hole if it was painted on the side of the barn or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, he's not going to say those things. That's not Ryan Day. So he'll he'll that's being a little bit evasive. It's not really lying to us. But I, I, I only think it's ever a problem when they're insulting our intelligence. And the only time I think we ever brought up that word, that liar word, or that it was a lie was when he was talking to us in that one instance about Jackson and the Chigwa. And we said it because he lied to us. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It- can I the ego thing? I don't think it's a bad thing that Ryan Day has a bit of an ego. Like I wasn't saying that in a negative. It's, it's, he's a college football head coach at a pretty high quality program. He should have a level of an ego. But just like everybody in the world, sometimes that can get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish because you're trying so hard, being stubborn and trying to make something happen. 
I didn't want that. I hope that didn't come off as like, oh, Brian Day is an egotistical maniac and people don't. Re- no, he's a very relatable, approachable human being. This is that had nothing to do with him as a human being and all about that one specific thing. And it's not a negative that he has that ego, because if he didn't have that ego, he wouldn't be the head coach here. He wouldn't have gotten where he's gotten in life. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it is is a coach speak conversation, right? Which is like you kind of understand why they have to say it, but also like it doesn't mean that we have to accept it. So you know, well, that's the people brought it to us, and we have to be willing to talk about what we talk about uh, when we talk about Buckeye talk. I want to do this super quick because I know everybody's so excited for us to get to our Maryland picks. I want to do this super fast. It's about the podcast from the four four zero. Frank and Hudson, hey guys, I want to rant out the lack of brackets going on with the pod. I used to look forward to them as a little break from the football talk. Um, we'll get back to them. I understand we haven't been doing them as much lately, and it's a point taken. I still am in the midst of a bracket. So as for our tech subscribers, we like to do brackets about football, about weird things where people vote. We will get back to those. I I will do some in both season, I think, in that December window. But once you get into football, like, man, we're kind of jamming on football. Also, he went to Roosters and was unimpressed. So that is uh, noted. This I don't think we can do from the 616. I want to rant about no Tuesday podcasts. Tuesday is already the worst day of the week. Monday equals Monday night football. Wednesday is halfway through the week. Thursday is Thursday night football. Friday equals Friday. The fact that in addition to Tuesday already being the worst day of the week, there isn't a new Buckeye Talk podcast makes Tuesday unbearable. I know you guys have families and need a break, but golly, Tuesday feels like an eternity. Um, long story short, Tuesdays are the worst day of the week because I find myself having to re-listen to the old Buckeye Talk from Saturday and Monday over and over, and it's just not the same. We need a Tuesday Buckeye Talk, please, from the 616. Nathan, that, that is quite a plea. I don't. We're doing six a week right now. I don't think we can do seven in season. Yeah, that might I don't my know advice. what to do. I, I <laughs> My advice is going to be just wait about six weeks and we'll start doing Tuesday podcasts again when we're doing a Monday through Friday in the, in the off season. Uh, or yeah, that, now Doug, yeah, right. correct me if I'm or wrong. Just... Is there a college football playoff, uh, a college football survivor show podcast on Tuesdays? There is, there is. And that is, thank you, Nathan. That is very well said. Uh, there is an, that's usually for Apple podcast subscribers for three ninety nine a month. You get four mm. bonus episodes of the college football. Oh, great. Wow. That was 15 seconds was, between setting up the, the promotion guy. of the show and literally said, grunting at the idea Apple. of paying a nickel. Well, no, you said it's not that it's not paying for it. It's you said Apple and Nathan was out. Yeah. Is that it? You don't use Apple Podcasts as oh, a no, I do. Apple. Oh no, he does use Apple. No, it was actually oh, it's, paying it's for the content nickel. part. I use Ugh, Apple because paying. I have an Apple phone for free. No, I know. No, it was it was just to be clear, Stephen. It was not the podcast platform. Uh, it was paying for hey, things that Doug says. <laughs> That's the thing that my colleague <laughs> grunted at. It was so, it was a yeah. grunt that I felt bad because I thought I was saying, "Oh, here's a thing that with no effort or expense you could just use to fill in that Tuesday." But then I realized, oh no, the Tuesday one is the paid one. I literally do like eight to nine free podcasts a week, and I do one that I ask people to pay for. And you were like, oh, God, that sounds <laughs> awful. Um, but yes, the College Football Survivor Show, there's one out on Tuesday and one out on Wednesday, if people want to go to that. Uh, and then people were concerned that we didn't do a Wednesday Buckeye Talk this week from the 740. My early rant is my, my seven-year-old Eddington. He was the seven-year-old who did OH for the crowd in the second quarter Saturday. Where is the Wednesday Buckeye talk? What are we going to listen to on the way to school? So Eddington had like a great week because he got to do OH for the crowd. And then I ruined it because I couldn't get the Wednesday podcast done. And we skipped the Wednesday podcast this week. I apologize. Okay. Um, Oh, and just this real quick. That's our guy, Joseph in Atlanta. Not a rant, but just wanted to say I really appreciate you guys. I had a terrible Monday morning, and it was a nice touch of normalcy having the pod to distract me, which is what we are. We are a distraction. So um, thanks to you guys for listening. When we come back, making our picks for Ohio State versus Maryland next. All right, Nathan, before we get to those, the two other things that I wanted to cover that I know you texted about to our tech subscribers, 614-350-3315. If you subscribe right now, like in the next two minutes, you get the two-week free trial through the through the Michigan-Ohio State game. It always used to confuse me when they'd run commercials and they'd be like, if you call in the next five minutes, and I would be like, 
So they run the commercial and they have people at the phones. Like if you call in the next five minutes, you get the special deal. And I was like, oh, wait, it's all a trick. So we're not tricking you, but you get a two-week free trial. Whenever you start it, just now, you'd happen to be in that window. You texted about Ryan Day talking about practicing in the snow and C.J. Stroud having a great practice on Tuesday. Can you give us a little info on those two things? So, yeah, the uh, on the radio show, or actually yeah, going back to Wednesday night after practice, Steel Chambers had mentioned that they practiced in the snow, which he was not a fan of. But apparently Tommy Eichenberg is um, – impervious to all elements and he was acting like a crazy man out there and so steel chambers was kind of trying to absorb some of that on his own but day said that they it just happened to practice they haven't had that opportunity really to go out and practice in the snow for just the way the the days have lined up uh in the last couple of years and they uh, was when the wednesday practice they went out and started apparently it's a thing that they do every wednesday they start with the 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 threes having a little scrimmage and this time to spice it up they sort of had the offensive defense go to different sidelines and then CJ Stroud called the offense and Tommy Eichenberg called the defense and Eichenberg was dialing up a bunch of uh, blitzes and stuff. And the threes didn't even know how to do all of them. Right. And he was getting kind of mad apparently, but the defense won. The defense has been winning those scrimmages for whatever that means. It's usually, I think it's just like four plays to, to start the thing off. They start from the 10 yard line or whatever. So, but yeah, getting out in the elements, the, the quote that he said that I made note of because it's the kind of thing that could come back to haunt you uh, expect, especially considering how things went last year. But he said about the snow, because he noted, he noted also that it snowed well, kind of heavy at part of the, the start of the Indiana game and said, uh, quote, our guys seem to be coming immune to it. Immune to the snow. Yes. Okay. So That's we'll good. see about okay. that. <laughs> But yeah. the Stroud thing okay. was interesting that he would point, p- pull that out at this stage of his career and say that he had like one of the best practices, maybe the best practice he's had since he's been at Ohio State, which is uh, in, anytime you're saying that about any player this time of the year, I guess that's a good sign. Okay, let's make picks. Ohio State is favored by 27 and a half against Maryland. The total is 63 and a half of note. And it's a note enough that Ohio State put it in its game notes. Last seven games against Maryland, Ohio State point totals, 52, 49, 62, 62, 52, 73, and 66. So they have piled up points on these guys. They have not played at Maryland since 2018, the game they almost lost. The week before the Michigan game, the 2020 game was canceled by COVID. Maryland does have – they're an interesting team. They they do have a run game. Roman Hemby is like a, a, an interesting back. He's kind of a like kind of a big dude who's broken off some long runs this year. They're, I think it's an, a, enough of a run game test the week before Michigan that's interesting, and they have thrown it around. I also think they're leaking. They scored 10 and 0 the past two weeks, and so I don't know where Maryland is right now. But let's get to our picks. Steven Means – what is your prediction for Ohio State at Maryland? I'm glad you brought up the previous scores because one of those previous scores is going to be my score for this game. And it's from the 2016 season when they won 62-3 to at Maryland. And I think they're going to do that again today. I think part of this is because Maryland has not proven they can stop Ohio State's offense in any year in any variation of that offense. But also some of that is more a... I think the defense has been playing very well and they need to continue to build momentum going into next week. You brought up the fact that Maryland does have some semblance of a run game. I think they need to shut that down in preparation for what they're going to have to deal with seven days from Saturday. But also, I think offensively, we know Marvin Harrison is really good and he's reliable at this point. Emeka and Julian have trailed off a little bit and they could use a pick-me-up kind of stat game and so I think you see some combination of all those things the offense clicking the offense doing what it does because I don't think the weather's going to be that bad it's supposed to be in the around the 40s but then also the defense kind of putting some more umph in the things as they keep making their way towards that November 26th date so 62 to 3 you are going over the total of 63 and a half and you yes. are giving the points with Ohio State rather convincingly yeah. Nathan Baird what's your pick so I have been all over the place on this. And in fact, I've already written my little brief that goes in our score picks, but I've, I'm changing the score that goes along with that because every time I think about this game, I, I widen what I think the spread is going to be. And listen, if this game had been played in early October, I think it would have been a different game because Maryland at its essence is not as bad as it has looked the past two weeks. But 
since Toya Tagovailoa got hurt against Indiana, missed one game, came back, these two games against Wisconsin and Penn State have been uh, atrocious. He, in these two games, 46.7% completions, 3.4 yards per attempt, which is miserable, and he's been sacked 12 times. And neither of those teams are as good as Ohio State is. So I'm going to say 52-14. to 14. I, I think this is a game that Maryland really could have done something interesting. I don't think they could have beaten Ohio State. I think they could have had this earlier on the season be kind of one of their on-the-radar moments to, you know, have it be a competitive game into the second half or something like that. But you kind of have to go with what is actually happening in front of you right now. And there's no reason to have confidence that Maryland has it together right now to be able to keep up with Ohio state. So you're also giving the points and going over the total with that. Um, I'm going to go under and I, my score is 45 to 13. And I do think they have, I think Hemby and I think Rakim Jared at receiver. Uh, I've, I really like Dante Demas at his peak and he got hurt last year. And I just, he hasn't been himself. I think mm-hmm. the whole year. Um, I still think that even though they are leaking and they offense has done nothing like their, their team total yards the last two weeks is like, they don't even get like, I think one of the games didn't even get the 200 yards. Like Uh-oh. it's remarkable. I could see a version of like, one good drive, one big play, like rise back up against Ohio State. And I'm just picking a lower score for Ohio State because I think that Ohio State could be limited, you know, mid-40s by one of two things, which is it's just a little tougher than you think because, like, this is Maryland's last chance in a good year to, like, really do something against a good team. Or Ohio State gets out in front, and I think maybe they really call off the dogs – because they want to make sure everybody's healthy for Michigan. And I, I just maybe could see, like, even if Ohio State's operating on all cylinders, like, it's it's 42, one drive into the third quarter, and that's it. And then the backups don't do much, and they really throttle it back just to make sure nobody risks anything, especially at running back, depending, right? Especially with Marvin. I just, I just wonder about that. So I'm just going lower. I'm still going to take Ohio State minus the points, but I'm going to go under the total. So my score is 45 to 13, and those are our picks for Ohio State versus Maryland. One thing, Nathan, I know you do like the preview, right, of the guys to watch. Is there anybody else that we haven't mentioned that Ohio State fans should know about for Maryland before kickoff on Saturday? So you mentioned, obviously we talked about Tagovailoa, and you mentioned Roman Hemby, who's having a solid year as a running back. Uh, the rest of the receiving core, and it was you're right with Demas, and I'd actually had not followed it week to week. I was a little surprised at how little he has been able to contribute this year. But yeah. Rakeem Jarrett on the other side, now he hasn't had as good a year as he had last year, but he's a mm-hmm. solid receiver, former five-star prospect. Jacob Copeland is a guy that was a transfer from Florida where he had been a top 70 prospect. They've got a couple other guys, Corey Dykes, uh, Jay Shawn Jones. Uh, they, they, they spread it around a lot in the receiving cords. I think they've only got like one guy that can handle the ball out there. So they're going to, it's a team that's going to probably attack Ohio state pretty horizontally. I think this is going to be a test for these cornerbacks that they're going to be like attacking them on the perimeter, attacking them on the edge a lot, and then trying to go deep over the top to some of the talents that they have there. And, um, Ohio State's going to have to, hopefully, if, if they've got all three of those guys healthy, it might be their first chance to really showcase some things before the Michigan game. They have not maximized Rakeem Jarrett at all, especially, I mean, he does, he's got 100 he yards. 400 game. receiving yards, right? He's, he's, he's got like 406 on 37 okay. carries. He has 100 yard game, and that was against Buffalo in week one. And he's only been over 50 yards two other times, and that's when he went eight for 82 against Northwestern and then two for 65 against SMU. They have, I mean, Five-star recruit, all that stuff is great, but development is part of this. But it also, you've got to maximize the kid when you've got him out there. And from – they have just not – he had one catch for five yards against Wisconsin. And if, yeah. if with Demas dealing with what he's dealing with, this is your best receiver. They have some talent, and I, they just hit a wall a little bit. Like yeah. The quarterback injury is obviously a huge deal. Ryan Day has said nice things about Tonga Bailoa. They just hit a wall a little bit. They, they got a good win against Michigan State earlier in the year. It's going to wind up being a good season for Maryland, but I think they're out of gas a little bit. And I don't know if people also maybe got a read on what they want to do. The Demas, man, before Demas got hurt early last year, yeah. 
physically, like he was like a number one receiver. And and Jared's a little bit of a smaller guy, a little bit more of like a slot guy anyway. Mm-hmm. They were a great pair. And when Demas got hurt last year, Jared really exploded. But it just it just has not happened, right? You said, Stephen, it has not been maximized through because of injury, because of opportunity, just kind of the way the season has gone. There, Maryland's maybe not as scary as we thought they might be in game 11, you know, like two months ago, as you sort of said, Nathan, like there was a time when it was like, oh man, I don't know. And it's just, it's just not at that point. It's a four touchdown game. And I don't, I don't think anyone believes Ohio State's going to have much of a problem. All right. We will uh, see you guys after the game, post game pod might not be, it might be up like really late Saturday night, three thirty game. It's, it's hard to get that pod up real quick. Uh, make sure you listen to betting the Buckeyes as Tyler Shoemaker and I look at college football from a gambling perspective. But for now, For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.